Hosted by Shane and Derek, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back, Sense fans, to Sense fans to another episode of the Sense Hour Podcast, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Sponsored by Customized Sports, you can check them out at CustomizedSports.com, your one-stop shop for all your customized needs. And from now on, you can enter in promo code SENSHOUR and get 10% off your purchase uh, through their website. So definitely go check that out. We'll have our links on our Twitters and whatnot. But you know what, Shane? we got Derek as always. And we got a little bit of an action-packed episode. We'll start off, though, with the biggest news involving Sens fans in terms of prospects. And that's World Junior Talk. Uh, Germany had eight positive cases. They're uh, quarantined until the 24th. <clears throat> so they're going jumping right into the right into the World Juniors on the 25th. I think against Finland is their first game. But it brings up the big question. Should Timmy Stutzel be pulled and brought to Ottawa? You know, Derek, we'll, let's get your opinions on this before we get into it. Well, exactly what you said. That I I believe firmly that Ottawa should step in, sign Tim Stutzla to his ELC, and immediately take him uh, and move him to Ottawa and get him training with the boys and give him a full training camp. Training camp gets underway, I think, December thirty first. So, um, so why not give him a full camp? Uh, give him a good look. Like, let's see if this kid could actually make the team. Um, and, and, you know, the World Juniors has been a bit of a, a mess um, to start. You know, we have a lot of positive cases. Sweden's not looking good either. Uh, Germany's already shorthanded, uh, missing, I think, Lucas Reichel. So, um, you know, what is Timmy Stutzla really going to get out of this tournament um, besides COVID? You know, hopefully he doesn't get that. And hopefully he's not one of the eight people that tested positive. Um in, in my mind, Ottawa just needs to pull the plug on uh, on their number one prospect uh, playing at the World Juniors this year. Uh, it is what it is. It's, you know, obviously under normal circumstances, I think we would want him to play in this tournament. But uh, under these circumstances, we need to send him home, uh, you know, let him set up shop in Ottawa, give him a place to play and uh, let him get acquainted to the boys in Ottawa. What do you think, Shane? I, I'm in agreement. I mean, I've been – I don't like the fact that he's at the tournament. I think Ottawa should have done what New York did with Alexei Lafreniere and say, no, you're not going to the tournament. We want you in Ottawa. 
Let's bring you into Ottawa beforehand. Get you uh, ready with the city, get you familiar with the city, and we'll have you in camp for a full camp once and whenever the camp starts. Yeah, and same thing. I mean, in my mind, Timmy Stutzla, if you want him to be an Ottawa senator this year, and I think that's still a bit of an if and a bit of a question. I know a lot of people are going back and forth. It's It's been one of those hotly debated subjects for, I mean, for quite some time. You know, a lot of other prospects that are playing this year have already signed their entry-level contracts. And Stutzla, we know, is um, under contract with Mannheim for this season. Um, Haley came on and explained it to us, you know, in her mind. And she was kind of leaning towards him going back to Germany, uh, much like you were talking about yourself for quite some time. Are, are you still worried about burning a year of the entry-level contract in Ottawa, or are you kind of on the fence of, you know, being okay with him coming to Ottawa? See, like, if there's an AHL, no issue. Come to Ottawa, play your seven games, go back to Belleville if you're not ready. Per Even if he's ready, screw it. Go back to Belleville. We can let your contract slide for a year. My issue, like personally as a Sens fan, like, yeah, if you look at our cap situation, I'm not worried about having to sign him to like a, an eight-year, nine and a half million dollar deal uh, in the summer of 22, 20, or in the summer of 23, or in the summer of 24. Either one, I'm not really worried about. For me, it's just more of if you're expected to be competitive in the 22, 23 season, wouldn't you rather have him at you know 975,000? Or uh, have him at nine point five million. You know that extra year is a makes that that can be a big difference. Even if you even if we're not worried about it right now, you know we we're gonna have Kachuk, uh, who needs probably close to seven and a half, maybe eight, even eight million. We have Shabbat under eight. Who knows what happens with a guy like Brandstrom? Who if he turns the corner and gets a huge deal, like. So personally, I'm not really worried about the cap in that sense. It's more of like if you can get him for a year where you're not going to be – like we're not going to be competitive. I think every all Suns fans expect us to finish bottom of the Canadian division just like everyone else. Why waste a year on a 56-game season where you know you're not going to compete for a playoff spot? Yeah, I mean I look at it in a little bit of a different way. I, I just think if the kid's ready – and the kids willing to come to Ottawa. I don't think we need to prevent him from being an NHL player this year. Um, but I, I appreciate the argument. Like I, I do get that perspective. I do get that side of things. Um, and I understand why some people are adamant. Like some people are convinced that the better step for his development would be to remain in Mannheim. Although they have a much shorter season as well this year, as I think Gary pointed out, um, Actually, you know, Bruce Garriott's been one of the more vocal people on this. He's really, really um, convinced that Tim Stutzla is coming to Ottawa um, as soon as the World Juniors is up. And perhaps the entry-level deal is going to be signed like tomorrow now that we have official announcement from the NHL in regards to the NHL season. Um, but to me, it just it remains a question mark until it's not. So until we have some kind of firm answer um, on the Stutzla contract, we have to at least um, prepare for the possibility of him going to Germany. And in my mind, it's not the worst thing either. So, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, him going to Germany is going to stunt 
his growth in any sort of way. I, I think it would be fine if he goes to Germany. Um, and, you know, my preference is to see him in Ottawa. Agreed. And I mean, I think as a sense fan, you have to look at how this team has operated the last couple of years. No one, ex like you shouldn't, you know, Ottawa doesn't make the, the expected things. You know, people didn't expect Ottawa to take a, most people didn't expect Ottawa to take Sanderson at five. Most people didn't see us trading Stone and Duchesne and Carlson. They thought we would overpay to keep him. Pierre Dorian has shown that he is willing to take the unconventional route if it means that if it sticks with the plan and he feels like it's the best way for or the best thing for the prospect. And I don't think it's wrong to look at that possibility of him going back to Germany without a contract in place. Yeah, Pierre Dorian has said it himself several times. There's no shortcuts within this plan. So if that means Stutzla going to Germany, then so be it. Um, what I want to see is, I think um, it was highlighted that they'll have seven games of a sample as opposed to nine or ten, yeah. um, or perhaps it's six. My, my numbers could be off, but I, I want to see him get that six or seven game sample in the NHL, see what he could do. If he's an impact player and he's producing, then you keep him in the lineup. If he's not, then I think you still have that option of sending him back to Germany, if, if I'm not wrong, as, as a loan. It would, he would go as a loan. So versus going there on a contract. Yeah, I mean, f personally, I think the taxi squad is really where he's going to end up. At least to start. I don't see him starting the season, especially if he's not here for the start of camp. If he comes here, you know, January 3rd, he has that 17, seven day quarantine. I'm pretty sure it is. At least that's what Gary Ock said. And so that brings him in line with this January 11th, two days before the season's supposed to kick off. They're not just going to throw him into the Wolves on opening night. He's probably going to practice. There, there's a good chance that we don't see Timmy Stutzel in, in a Senator's uniform until the end of January. And, like, personally, like, it's a little a little worrisome as a Sens fan, like, in my opinion. It And it puts the question, like, okay, you know, if he's, in, if he's not in playing a game by the end of January – there's an AHL season, they could just want to put him down in Belleville and not even give him a chance to play in Ottawa. Yeah, I think it, it will depend on, I think it'll depend on how he looks at the World Juniors. If they feel like, again, if they feel like he could be an impact player in the NHL, uh, it, that's a hard assessment to make when you're playing against peers your own age at the World Juniors. But if they feel like he could be an impact player, They'll have him in the lineup if they feel like he needs some seasoning, if they feel like he needs to earn his spot. And, and this is something that DJ Smith has said many times, you know, they're, they're not handing players positions. So uh, just like you said, Shane, if he doesn't have a chance to compete in a training camp for his spot on the team, they're not going to hand him the spot on the team. Like I think a lot of people are assuming. So you know, he's not, he's not a shoe in player. He's an, he's an 18 year old. So we need to at least give him probably about a month um, or a few weeks to transition to the NHL game, to practice with his team, to uh, again, get acquainted with his line mates, whoever they may be, and see if he can compete at the NHL level at this stage in his career. Uh, if he can't, it's not a red flag. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. Um, because again, he's he's the third overall pick, but he's also 18 years old. There's many, many 
third overall picks that, you know, just aren't ready in their first season. Uh, so it's not a huge red flag for me. Agreed. I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, overanalyze his play as an 18-year-old. I remember when people were saying Victor Hedman was a bust after three years, or even Nathan McKinnon was considered a bust after three years. Um, so I don't, I don't look at anything like that. But here's the thing. What if he gets hurt? What if he re-aggravates his, his – I know it was he had surgery and whatnot, but what if he gets hit on the boards, he re-aggravates it, he, he sprains it, what the case? You know, what do you do then? Like, do you just say, screw it, you're going back to Germany no matter what, so we don't – you know, at least you can go there, rehab, play some games, especially if it's not a long-term thing where it's like, okay, you know, you can go there, isolate for however long while you're, you know, dealing with your injury. You probably get on the – on the ice quicker in Germany than you could in, in Canada at that point. So I'm like, that, that's one thing where I'm kind of just like, there's so many possibilities that could force uh, Timmy out of Ottawa before the season begins. I think injuries will play an important role on whoever it is that's injured this season, just being the fact that it's a sprint this year at 56 games. So any kind of injury or, you know, fracture or anything that, puts you out a few weeks, it's, you're going to miss significant time. Um, so, you know, you could say the same thing about many players, but again, in Timmy's case, do you want to burn one year of an entry level contract for him to come to Ottawa and play, you know, 25 games? No. I mean, that's, that's an easy answer. Um, so my hope is, again, I, I've said this the whole time. My hope is they pull the plug on the whole world junior idea, have him come to camp, on time with everybody else. And then we're looking at a totally different scenario. A hundred percent. And I mean, if he's in a camp, I think we can all agree. He's most likely that, uh, most likely going to make the team. If he's in, if he's in a full camp, I, I would be very surprised if he doesn't make the team, but you know, we can, we can, uh, speculate all we want on this. Well, we won't know until we have the answers, but, with that being said, we got some big news in the NHL today in terms of the confirmation that there will be a season being played in 2021 starting on January 13th. We got a 56 game season. The Canadian division has been set, but there's question marks about where they're going to play. BC, Ontario, and Quebec have come out or have have they have come out in reports that they have not signed off on NHL uh, participation in the province yet BC being the biggest one, apparently being the hardest one to deal with. So we got the, we got the division. We know it's going to be a Canadian division. Could we see a bubble? Could we see it split between Edmonton and Calgary? Do the, you know, even Winnipeg, could we see something like that? It's going to be a huge thing. You, what, what's your thoughts on what, what do you think this, not just the sense, but, you know, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, what their situation is, and what kind of outlook does the Canadian division have, at least to start the season? Yeah, it's, it's just an awful lot of news to take in in one day, but we have, you know, a provincial lockdown coming. Uh, you know, news of that in the same day that we have official uh, clearance of an NHL season. So, um, you know, there's all this stuff going on and the uncertainty is surrounding Canada and specifically the North Division or Canadian Division, whatever you want to call it. Um, so my thought is that 
they could create some kind of bubble for the first uh, little while until the province is out of the lockdown um, and, and maybe back into the red zone um, or perhaps, you know, further along. There are vaccines coming, as we know, um, early on in 2021. So, um, you know, we'll have to look at, you know, how much of an impact that's going to have. Of course, there's the rumor that uh, the NHL could be privately buying everyone a vaccine. Um, and then, of course, it comes down to who wants to take the vaccine and who doesn't. And you're surely going to have a, you know, a number of players that will not take the vaccine. Um, but all of this is it's so up in the air right now that I hesitate to even make a guess because things seem to change um, day by day at this point in the pandemic that we're dealing with. So um, my, I guess my best guess at this point on December, whatever it is, tw- is it the 20th today? It's the 20th yeah. day. So December 20th, five days before Christmas. My best guess is that they create a bubble uh, scenario for the North Division for, you know, a number of games until they can make a further assessment. Uh, and then hopefully we'll get to see games uh, played in Ottawa, but it won't really matter anyway, because no fans are going to be allowed at those games. Yeah, I mean, kind of like what the the NCAA is doing with the pods, kind of uh, meant like uh, situation. But there was a report earlier that had talked about with Lisa McLeod, the sports and heritage MP for Ontario, and she seemed relatively optimistic that she's she's been in talks with the Ford government, along with uh, the Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs about staying in Ontario, and she gave off the impression of her being very optimistic that we could see uh, Ottawa and Toronto sticking in in Ontario. It's just when are they going to announce it and when it's going to happen? No one knows, but she kind of see, she seems more optimistic than what we've seen out of BC. And I haven't seen anything out of Quebec. So I have no idea what's going on with Montreal and what their situations like in Quebec. But I think for Ottawa, I wouldn't be surprised if we're playing at the CTC. Yeah, and and who knows? Maybe they'll just do like ten games of Ottawa Toronto to start the season, like you know something absolutely ridiculous, um, where it's it's literally just the Battle of Ontario for ten games to start the year. I I don't know. At this point, um, you know anything is possible. I guess it, it's it's just that kind of situation, and um, that's what we're living in right now. You know, you wake up and to new news um, every day. Yeah, and I mean, we just saw, like, uh, I don't know if you saw the report earlier today, San Jose is going to Arizona. So, you know, Arizona will have two shitty teams um, <laughs> in their state. But, um, you know, they're they're going to Arizona. They're going to have training camp in Arizona and most likely start the season in Arizona. So we could see something like that. I mentioned earlier that, you know, we could see Vancouver at least move to Saskatchewan. Uh, either play out of Regina, where the Regina Pats are, or out of Saskatoon uh, with the Blades. I uh, personally think that'd be fine. I think if you're looking at travel, uh, that might be the best course too. Like comparatively to to you know Toronto, Edmonton, and or Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa, like traveling to to Saskatoon or uh, Regina would be a lot easier and better than going all the way out to Vancouver. Yeah, that's right. And that's another consideration that they're going to have to make. Like a lot of 
we're seeing a lot of cases get developed from travel specifically. So, you know, just being in close quarters in the airports, in the airplanes, um, I'm quite surprised that we are seeing the NHL come up with a plan to do all this travel. Um, I would be expecting to see many canceled games. Like, you know, don't get your heart set on watching a game, you know, whatever evening it ends up being because we'll surely see some cancellations um, throughout the season. It, it's going to happen and they're going to have to leave, I guess, some like buffer space in there for games that are rescheduled and canceled. That's going to have to be part of their plan. But uh, I don't know. It's funny what you mentioned. Like, uh, is there any sharks in the desert? I don't know. Can you have a shark in the desert? That's hilarious. Arizona sharks. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, realistically, if you look at the now Atlantic division that I think has, like, Boston, Buffalo, New York, like, all those, they can all bust to each other. Like, realistically, that, that entire division shouldn't even be on a plane. I would be very surprised if they're even on a plane. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're NHL players. They're most likely going to be on a plane. But they could bust to the arenas, realistically, without any major issues, I believe. Uh, for the most part, at least, I think there's going to be like Pittsburgh and whatnot. But overall, like you have the metropolitan teams, like the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, they can all bust to each other, no issue. But yeah, it's travel is going to be a huge thing, and I'm relatively interested to see how they handle it. Yeah, specifically for this North Division, like the travel is going to be huge. <laughs> you know, we're we're going out to Vancouver and we're going far, so. Uh, that'll that'll impact the schedule too um, a great deal I think um, when it comes to the playoffs um, we're seeing the playoff format as one verse four two verse three so not any real surprises there but um, I do wonder specifically for this North kind of Canadian division how kind of weathered they'll be from that travel schedule versus uh, you know a division like the Atlantic that you mentioned that really doesn't have to travel at all I mean I don't think. I don't think it'll be too much considering like you're not, we're not going to see a lot of East. I would be very surprised. I think there was a report. I think Sean Simpson put out, like we'd be playing Calgary like nine times. I don't see that happening. I think they would try to like give us more games against Montreal, like probably 12 games against Montreal, Toronto, like eight games against Winnipeg and kind of minimize the games out, out in Alberta and Vancouver really. And give Vancouver and out like you know BC and Alberta teams less against you know the Ontario and Quebec teams, but who knows? Until the schedule comes out, we don't really know. It's all speculation. But I think the NHL will do its do as much as possible to limit the excessive travel. Especially like I'm not gonna want. I don't think it's smart to have Vancouver and Montreal play each other nine times. Yeah, that's a huge amount of time. Um, we'll have to dive in. I mean, they'll have a schedule out soon. We'll have to dive into the schedule when we get it, and we'll break down all of that stuff for you. We'll have, you know, we'll look at Ottawa's travel and the amount of travel they're going to have to do. Um, I do expect it to be pretty substantial, um, probably compared to a typical season uh, with this kind of division realignment. But uh, we'll get a good look at it, and we'll have uh, some information on that when it comes. Um do you change your mind a little bit when it comes to the placement? Um, you know, I, I predicted Ottawa to be uh, seventh in the division. Now I'm kind of second guessing. I'm looking at the teams in the division. 
I'm looking at this whole scenario and I'm thinking there's a chance in a, you know, top four make the playoffs in your division. There's a, there's a possibility that Ottawa squeezes into a playoff spot this year. Do you think the same way or, or do you think there's no chance at all? Well, I have them as fifth. Um, I've been very adamant. I've been one of the few people that think Ottawa isn't going to finish in the bottom of the uh, Canadian standings. Uh, I think if you look at for specifically Winnipeg, I think I've seen multiple people say Winnipeg is going to be the second best team in the uh, the Canadian division. I just don't see that happening. I think Hellebuck played I think all, like eighty percent of their games last season. I don't see that. Be, I don't see that being able to to suffice. For the most part, I don't see Hellebuck being able to play like 40, 45 out of the 56 games with them be, for them to be competitive. I, I like Murray and Hogberg as our goaltending combination. Vancouver, who knows? If, like I said before, if you see a regression from like Miller, who had 72 points, it, or, you know, even if uh, Pedersen or Horvat kind of regress in any way and Besser doesn't step up, it, it's in their defense, you know. Schmidt outside of Schmidt and Hughes, they don't their defense is kind of questionable. Is Holpe and Demko good enough to really, you know, push them over the hump? And then you have Koskinen and Smith and Edmondson. Like I just I feel much more and another situation is, you know, if these guys if you know, let's say Koskinen opts out of the season. Or, you know, so you're you're looking at, I don't know. Uh, Forsberg, um, Smith combo in Edmonton. I think it is like I, no, I don't. I don't. McDavid and Drysdale can only do so much. We saw it against Chicago. Um, I think Montreal, Toronto, and Calgary should be the should be the locks. Anything, anything from those three, you know, from four downwards, I think is a complete. You know, who's who, or who's gonna take advantage and, and take that number four spot. But I would be very surprised if, you know, Calgary, Toronto, and Montreal aren't one, two, three by the end of the season. See, and I'm less convinced of Montreal, much like you talked about the other teams. Um, and, and that's the interesting thing about this division. Like, there is a lot of those teams that you can pick apart. And you could say, like, well, they've got a hole here or a hole there, or quite a few question marks. Like, even when we're talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs, like, who everyone pr- projects to be number one in this division – you could still look at their lineup and you could say like, yeah, well, you know, if Frederick Anderson kind of, you know, craps the bed for a few weeks and has a really slow start as he does, is there, you know, is there a possibility they just fall too far down that, you know, it doesn't work out for them in Montreal. I just don't believe in the core group that's there, uh, you know, the same way that other people I've seen other people do. I think, you know, they have some aging players there. Um, Carey Price, maybe this is the year that he starts a, you know, a downward trend. He is getting older. Shea Weber, same thing. I mean, um, they have some good players. Don't get me wrong. Uh, theoretically, they should be much better than the Ottawa Senators if we're comparing the two head to head. But at the same time, there's a lot of teams in this division that I'm just like, well, you know, I could make, you could make a case for them falling apart. Um, and some of the other divisions, there's very few teams that you could make that case for. So I think there's at least the potential that Ottawa um, overachieves this season. For me, for Montreal, the the catalyst or you know the glue that will hold that team together is Jake Allen. 
what kind of Jake Allen are we going to get? Are we going to get the Jake Allen that kind of took the starting job from Brian Elliott and Yaroslav Halak and took the starting job from Jordan Bennington in the playoffs? Or are we going to get the Jake Allen that lost the starting job to Bennington and struggled, you know, the last couple of years? If, if he is the first one, Montreal should finish in the top three. No, no issue. I understand that, you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying with the aging like players with price, but if you look at their, their biggest need, especially with price is a solid backup goaltender who can take the weight off of price. J- if Jake Allen can do that, Montreal should have enough firepower. The additions, I don't like the, the contract for Anderson, but if Anderson's healthy, He's a solid addition on the right side. And then you add in a guy like Toffoli. If Kakaniemi can come in like he did with the playoffs and Suzuki makes it, they have a chance to, you know, be the top team in the Canadian division. So for obviously I wouldn't want to see it, but on on paper, that's a team that's boom or bust, in my opinion, for, for Montreal. It's like they have the pieces, but if they don't uh, mold properly together, they'll never get going. Yeah, I just think I think a lot of people are looking at what they did in the playoffs. And in that small sample size, they're making this, you know, prediction that Montreal is going to be one of the best teams in the North Division next year. And like you said, they could be like there's potential that they could be. They still have Carey Price. And yeah, I said maybe he takes a, a, you know, a step downward next season. Maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe he's still Carey Price and maybe Shea Weber is still really good as well. But uh but aside from, you know, the playoff performance last year, they really weren't regular season-wise. They weren't going to make the playoffs before that. So uh, I think we seem to forget some of that stuff. And I know, yeah, I like some of their additions to Foley, one of them, uh, you know, local uh, local product there. He played for the 67s, of course. So, um, so yeah, I, I like some of their additions. Um, but at the same time, I'm not convinced that they're that good. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, this Canadian division is going to be really interesting. And before, and because we're on it, before we go to break, um, our last segment before our break, the the practice squad teams. You know, you have four to six players uh, minimum. You need to carry at least three goaltenders, either three on the active roster, or two on, or at least one on the on the taxi squad. Um, even uh, even the training camp roster. Is 36 forwards and unlimited goaltenders. So, you know, personally, I can I can name off a couple of people who I think will be on the taxi squad. Uh, they'll be treated as AHL players. Waivers will still apply. And I think one guy that is not being talked about is Logan Shaw, signed with Ottawa as a two-way kind of depth player. I wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of on that bubble of, you know, as our extra forward or just stays on the practice roster, like on the taxi squad, basically all year. Yeah. That's the, the kind of the ideal type of person that you probably want in that taxi squad. Cause it's not someone that you kind of circle and say, this is a part of our future. This is just, you know, a player that's kind of filling holes and filling needs as they come. So, um, you know, that to me is an ideal player there. The goaltending thing is really interesting for me. It's like, do you put Decord there or do you put Gus there? And, you know, which of those two do you want to be your American Hockey League goalies when that, you know, situation plays itself out and, and hopefully opens up to a season? Um, 
that will be really, really interesting, you know, whatever call they make there. But players, yeah, that we could uh, say that are probably on that squad, um, you know, between, is it between Norris, Logan Brown, Vitaly Abramov, probably on that squad, um, maybe Alex Formanton. You know, there, there's a lot of these American League players that you could keep on that squad at the beginning of the season until Belleville opens their season up. So, uh, and then, it, and then it could change. Then you could see more of the veteran players, uh, in that spot, kind of on that squad, uh, because you want your younger players developing and, and playing hockey. Agreed. And I think it all comes down to what the AHL is going to do. Uh, once they, if the AHL is like, oh yeah, we're going to have a season. Okay. Well, you're going to send all those players down. If not, you're not, you're most likely going to have these guys up. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. And we have to remind everyone there's still an expansion draft to do in June or in July. So we we got that to uh, to think about going forward in the next year. And we're also a year and a half away from the Olympics, from the Winter Olympics uh, in Beijing 2022, where the NHL players should be uh, brought back. So a lot to think about heading into 2021. There's an awful lot to think about. Actually, uh, before we go to break, um, I know we didn't talk about this before, but uh, I wanted to mention this and, and just get your opinion on this. Anthony Duclair signs a one-year, $1.7, I think, million-dollar deal with the Florida Panthers. What was your reaction to that? I laughed. I laughed so hard. Like, I, we got it. So we're, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we have a giant Slack chat for all the hosts in uh, – for, on the network, I'm very active in it. Um, sorry for blowing up your phone, Derek. I know I, I, I'm very active in it. <laughs> um, and it was posted in there, um, and I just laughed. I just couldn't <laughs> help myself from laughing because it's, you know, he goes to a good situation. He's most likely going to get top six roles. They don't have Hoffman. They lost Dadanoff. He's going to get power play time. Like, it. it you know, he he, got, he put himself in a situation, you know, $1.7 you're probably getting most of that in Florida. You don't have to worry about agent fees or anything like that. So you're getting most of the money that you signed for. I can't really hate the guy for it. Yeah, not a bad decision, although, you know, there's many people that think he didn't have too many decisions to make <laughs> based on the fact that he chose to represent himself. It, it just, you know, it kind of looks bad on Duclair's part because we know – you know, it came public that he was offered four point something million dollars. And, you know, there's some debate whether that was a one year deal or a three year deal. Um, you know, Duclair is saying that it it's laughable um, that it was reported that it was a three year deal um, and it was falsely reported. And it was, in fact, a one year deal. However, the case, you know, that's significantly more money than he's making this year in Florida. And it's hard to argue that he's going to get a better opportunity Although I get, I guess you could argue it. Like you said, they moved on from Hoffman and Dadanov, so he probably will play with Barkov and Huberto. But at the same time, I mean, he liked playing under coach DJ Smith, and DJ kind of trusted him more than a lot of his other coaches. So um, it, there's no guarantee that he's going going to stay between um, Barkov and Huberto. You know, if he doesn't play the defensive side of the game then he'll probably move down in the lineup and, and not get a great opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And just, just to recap some important dates, January 13th is puck drop. Uh, April 12th is the expected trade deadline. Uh, 
May 8th, end of regular season. Uh, expansion draft is July 21st. NHL draft, tw- uh, July 23rd and 24th. Free agent frenzy, July 28th. So those are the recap, the tentative dates. But with that, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we are going to dive in to our top 10 prospects. And this, I know for a fact, is not not going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be fun, but it's going to be some hot takes in it. So you'll, you'll want to stay you want to stay around. So we'll be right back after this quick word from Europuck. Uh, so stay tight. We'll be right back. Hello, bonjour, hello, hi, heya, and previet, hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck Podcast, the show where two Brits talk all things European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. If you want to keep updated on all of the latest news, scores, or standings from across the European hockey world, you want to get some insight from some very interesting guests discussing their stories with hockey and how the sport grows around in Europe in different interesting places, or if you want to keep updated with all of the leagues across Europe that are either playing, have been suspended, cancelled, delayed indefinitely, then do check out our latest episodes of the Europuck podcast every Friday as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a YouTube channel, the Europuck Podcast, and you can listen to us wherever else you get your podcasts. So check us out every Fridays and we'll see you there, folks. And we are back. Uh, as always, uh, sponsored by Customized Sports. You can head over to their website, customizedsports.com. Use promo code SENSEVER to get 10% off of your order. And we got, we're got we going to head into the last half hour or so uh, with a high, hot debate. And that is the top 10 sends prospects in the system in our own opinions i know you and one of the other other writers from new era sends did this which is why we're doing it uh and honestly i i'm not surprised we we've already not surprised um i think there's going to be no surprises for the most part but there definitely will be some surprises oh yeah there's going to be some hot takes um so we've seen each other's list so we kind of know uh, what we're looking at, and yeah, I, I have questions for you. I'm sure you have questions <laughs> for me, but uh, I just, I just, I should mention Brennan uh, Detzler from New Era Sends because uh, he approached me with this idea to do a collaborative piece. Um, so it was something that I really enjoyed doing. So shout out to Brennan for uh, for this idea. Yeah. So we'll run through your list first. We'll go through your top ten, and then we'll go through my top ten. We'll discuss it in between. And then at the end of it, we're most likely going to discuss it a little bit more. So you know what, Derek, take it away. Let us know your top 10 cents prospects. All right. So I'll start at the bottom. Number 10, uh, I have Vitaly Abramov. So um, right off the hop, maybe a bit of a hot take, having him inside the top 10. I know some people don't. Uh, For me, it's just the ceiling. Like his creativity makes him a player with a very high ceiling. So um, if he's able to achieve that ceiling, I think he could be definitely a top six player. So that's kind of the potential range uh, that I've given Abramov. Um, but again, he's not as high as some of the others because um, I'm not sure if he's going to achieve the ceiling. It's very uncertain. So the ceiling is very high. The creativity is very good. He has a great motor. 
Uh, and he's a fun player to watch. He tries a lot of stuff, but uh, maybe his play away from the puck isn't as strong as some of these other players. Um, so number 10, Vitaly Abramov. What do you think about number 10, Shane? I mean, I, I like Abramov. I like that when we got him with uh, for the Duchesne trade, I like what we saw, what I saw from him when he was in over in Europe. I want, I'm really excited to see what he can bring. Uh, if he's healthy, I'm excited to see what he can bring for camp. Yeah. Uh, and at number nine, I have Josh Norris. So again, <laughs> this is one that uh, I've already taken heat from after publishing uh, this piece because a lot of people have Josh Norris higher up. My kind of my question mark is it, it comes from a couple of different directions with Norris. Um, I, I don't dislike Josh Norris, so I'll let that be clear. I see him, um, his ceiling as being a top six center in, in the NHL. Um, so like many people do, not necessarily a star top six center, but a top six center. Um, so Norris, for me, it's I, I don't really know what he's good at. So I know he's a well-rounded player, but I don't see one area of his game that he's particularly good at. And I think as a top six center, you really need to have kind of a clear strength, at least in my mind you do. And then I question the playmaking abilities just a little bit. He's more of a finisher. He's more of a score first guy. And I'm not sure how that works from the center of the ice. Um, so for me, that's why he's number nine. Oh, and aside from the fact that we have a lot of depth at center. So we have guys on my list that are going to be a little bit higher than Norris. Um, so that's part two as to why I think he's number nine on my list. That's fair. I mean, I have, I have Norris up higher on my list, and I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to my list. But I can see I can see the arguments of him being, you know, at the bottom half of the top ten. I'm kind of surprised you have who you have him below, though, at number eight. When I saw that, I was a little bit surprised, not going to lie. Okay, so here's your recency bias right here. At number eight, um, you know, we're going to see him play really, really soon here in the World Juniors. Uh, Robbie Yarventi. Um, the reason I have him so high up on the wing, he, I see him as a top six player. He's an elite scorer. If this kid pans out to be a 35-goal scorer in the NHL, like I think he can, um, then there's no question. He could be even higher on this list. Uh, in terms of sense prospects. And this is a player that they don't really have in their system. This is a guy who is a pure goal scorer who, you know, we talk about a lot on the show. He has that uncanny ability to sneak into quiet spots on the ice and produce. And if he's going to be a goal scorer like that for the Senators, uh, kind of a power play specialist, um, I see Arventi being very high up in the sense system. Um, and, you know, potentially the number eight best prospect in the pool. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I just, I think it's one of those things where, like, I mean, I want to see what he does at the World Juniors before I put him in my top ten. So, spoiler, he's not in my top ten. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Like, I think it's, like I said, it, it's definitely some recency bias. Um, but, you know, after the draft, seeing what Yarventi is doing in the Liga, it's uh, – it's definitely inspired me to put him higher up uh, on the list. And at number seven, uh, Shane Pinto. We've been talking about another player who's recently really rose up. Shane Pinto has skyrocketed up many people's lists. For me, I'm not willing to give him the pass over some more established players just yet. But at the same time, um, 
from what I thought about Shane Pinto prior to this season in that he would be a really good third line center. Um, I've deviated from that. And again, I've projected him to be a top six center. And I think that's a pretty safe projection. So as we get higher up the list, um, to me, it, it just speaks to how safe of a projection these players are in my mind. Pinto, he does everything well, much like Norris, but I see him as a better version of Josh Norris, a more physical version of Josh Norris, and, and one that has many intangibles that he does well, such as, you know, winning every face-off. Oh, you're muted, Shane. I love Pinto. I, I absolutely love Pinto. Uh, I think he he's going to be a great player in the NHL. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Pinto Pinto definitely has surprised a lot of people with his play so far at Nodak. Absolutely, and, and here at number six is another surprise for everybody: um, Logan Brown, who is the Sens uh, Twitter whipping boy sometimes a little bit. I, I think people get down on Logan Brown for you know his lack of intensity, his lack of will he has a lot of skill but uh, sometimes lacks the will and i think it, it's blatantly clear sometimes um but i still believe in logan brown like i still see a player with a very high ceiling uh if he does again it, it's much like a Bromov. if he meets his ceiling he's going to be one of the best players in the organization i think pierre dorian was just quoted as saying this is the most skilled prospect in the system i wouldn't agree with that but I'll say that he's one of the most skilled prospects in the system. I think his vision is elite. I think his hands are up there. He reminds me of a Jason Spezza, but um, but not to the same level that that Jason Spezza was, obviously. Um, he, he needs to pick up the intensity and the pace. If he can do that, I think he'll be a top six player in the NHL. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, the, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it. I think we, we both have Logan Brown on sixth. On our on our list, and that's the one thing we, one of the two things we agreed on, um, <laughs> on our list in order. And I, I like Logan Brown. I was huge when we drafted him. Watched him when he was in Windsor and when he came, when he was traded to Kitchener. Was able to watch him a little bit more live. I think he can do it. I'm excited to see what he can do at camp. And who knows if he has a really strong camp, maybe he jumps up a little bit. Maybe he jumps into that top five for for most people. As a, as a top five prospect, uh, I think, you know, DJ Smith, there's a lot of confidence with DJ Smith. I think we have to remember Boucher did not like Logan Brown. Boucher did not help Logan Brown at all. So he's kind of a little bit behind, but I like Logan Brown. I have him at six. If he can, if he can get uh, better, like get, not necessarily quicker, but kind of like turn into Mark Stone with his skating, he's, he'll be a great player. Yeah, just that ability to kind of read a play too. And, and, you know, more so defensively. I think Brown has great offensive instincts, but uh, yeah, defensively needs some work. Number five, I have Drake Batherson. I think there's no real surprise that Drake Batherson is in my top five and in many people's top five. Um, Batherson is kind of in that, uh, in a similar situation to Brown, but not quite because Brown's been here a lot longer. But uh, the funny thing is when you compare Batherson and Brown, they're the same age. And, and that's one thing that people forget. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind when you're comparing those two players. And I think 
Batherson gets a buy a little bit because he was a fourth round pick where, you know, Logan Brown was 11th overall. So people are, you know, really, really hoping he pans out. Um, I like Drake Batherson though. I see him as a good power forward in the league. Um, I see him having similar qualities to Mark Stone, much like you mentioned with uh, Logan Brown. I think Batherson has a few qualities similar to Mark Stone. I think he can do it all. He's, he's kind of a well-rounded player. Um, he's a good playmaker. He has a good shot. Um, nothing significantly good making him sort of a star player. So I have him just below that uh, in terms of potential. I have him as a top six player. Uh, and hopefully this is the year that Batherson really has a breakout season. I think he'll be given every opportunity, certainly in training camp, to to do that this year. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, I like Batherson. I think this could be like a make it or break it kind of year for him. But I think Batherson has all the tools to to be a consistent, you know, 60, 70 point guy in the NHL. Yeah. And here's my hottest take on the list. It's number four. It's Alex Formanton, and, and I have him in the star category. So, um, you know, in a tier above the rest, um, I have Alex Formanton being above them simply because he's faster than everyone not named Connor McDavid with the puck. And, you know, when you have that kind of speed, to me, that's the most transferable skill to the NHL. So, I know he did. He didn't produce produce as much as Norris. He didn't produce as much as Batherson in the American Hockey League. I really think when it comes to transferable skill, we're going to see Alex Formanton get two breakaways a game sometimes. And if he's able to convert on you know thirty percent of those breakaways, he's going to produce goals in the NHL. And aside from that, I think he's a solid two way player. He learned a lot this year in Belleville. Uh, specifically on the defensive side of the game. I think he's a rapidly growing prospect and it would not surprise me whatsoever if this kid turns into a star at the NHL level. Yeah. And this is where we're going to have, we disagree on, on one thing on your list. I don't even, I don't even have about there uh, four minutes in my top 10. Uh, you know, there's another guy almost a, a, just as fast or just below Connor McDavid speed. And he is now on his sixth team since being drafted. Uh, I don't necessarily think speed equals production. I mean, he had a really good rookie year, and I think, you know, as a second-round pick, the expectations are low. But, you know, I, I just – I don't know. I feel like Formington, he can be a top – he can be a top six forward. But I don't – I think his ceiling is more – he'll be a better version of Duclair, in my opinion. Or a be, well, even just even a better Hoffman. I don't think he's going to reach that level. I think he's just going to be – you know, very, he's going to be really good at something or really good at some things, but he's not going to be, you know, good at everything. And he's going to, you know, you're going to play him on your power play, but you're not going to play him on your penalty kill. You're going to give him some offensive draws. You're, you know, unless he can improve his defensive game, I don't see him as a top 10 prospect with who we have in our prospect pool. See, to me, that's where he's learned the most this year, uh, this past year in Belleville, I think he's learned the defensive game. And that's why I think it's an, it's an incorrect comparison when you're looking at Duclair Hoffman, like, you know, those players that typically Formanton is compared to uh, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, who cares if Duclair has gone because Formanton's going to take that spot. But realistically, I see Formanton being a penalty killer. Like I, I think DJ Smith is going to start him out 
in a third line role, killing penalties mostly, and then maybe, maybe sliding into a second power play unit. But I really think he's going to try to grow his game even more. And he's, he's not going to be a star player next year. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying by the time this kid reaches his ceiling, he's on a great curve. And I, I could see him being a star player, a sneaky star player. Hey, I mean, I'm all, I'm all about these players being ahead of where I think they're going to be, honestly. Like, you know, if he goes down to Belleville and he can show that he – because I know I, – I mean, I've watched him on the penalty kill and he can do it, but Duclair was also able to do it. You know, I don't – as Not much as I, I – I mean, he was he was decent. You know, he had, he had a lot of shorthanded chances. He created a lot of shorthanded chances for Tierney and whatnot. But, you know, from what I've seen of Foreman's, and he's still kind of lackluster. Kind of, He kind of loses his, his man in the defensive zone, five-on-five. Five. I want to see some five-on-five five improvement. And, hey, maybe maybe he proves everyone wrong, I think, and, and improves five-on-five five defensively. And you can he's going to be a guy that you feel confident putting in any situation. I think it's kind of hard to be a star if you're not – if your coach doesn't feel confident putting you in every situation. I just – don't see right now. I don't see Formanton being able to be that guy, but you know, he could prove me wrong and, and come out and, and be that guy. So I, I like the confidence that you have in him. All right. And, and speaking of confidence, this is a, a player who needs the most confidence this year. Uh, number three, Eric Brandstrom. Um, so, you know, a player that maybe lost some confidence or some of the fan base lost confidence in him. Um, I still have him as the third best uh, prospect in the pool. Um, I have him panning up to be a star player, uh, again, if he reaches his ceiling. Um, I have my own doubts. I'll, I'll be honest. I have my own doubts when it comes to Eric Brandstrom. Um, but they're not sort of loud doubts. They're, they're you know, more subtle. I, I think Brandstrom skates well enough. I really, really like his breakout passing. I think that's going to be his bread and butter in the NHL. I, I think his first pass, uh, specifically that stretch stretch pass where you could stretch out the defense uh, and, and, you know, create problems in the neutral zone for the opposing team. I think that's going to be his strength. Um, to me, the question marks are more defensive um, based right now. Is he going to be big enough, strong enough to box people out in front? Um, he, he's never going to be a penalty kill player in the NHL. So you've got to kind of take that star category, maybe with a grain of salt and, and, or maybe just say that his offensive skills are going to be so good that, um, that they offset some of the defensive woes that he'll have. Uh, And hopefully he'll be playing with Jake Sanderson who will take care of the rest for him. So for that reason, I have him number three. Yeah, that's fair. And um, we'll get into him a little bit more. Um, after my list, because, oh, I know you're going to have some questions for me after that. <laughs> Number two, Jake Sanderson. No surprises uh, left. Uh, I see him as an elite uh, defenseman. I've said it before. I, I see him as uh, the best uh, defenseman on the auto Senators roster, including Thomas Shabbat in the long run. So um, there's no surprise that I had Sanderson at number two. Uh, and it's for, you know, all the things we've already touched on quite a bit uh, in this show, but uh, you know, I see him as being very, very good defensively, very good offensively, just kind of a, a well-rounded player, probably the most well-rounded player in their entire system. Yeah, that's fair. 
I I agree. Yeah, and 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 at number one, it, no surprise again, Timmy Stutzla uh, with his potential being elite. Uh, Tim Stutzla could be the very best player uh, on the Senators roster uh, in the long run, uh, at least in terms of driving offense. He's not going to be, to me, he's not going to be the most well-rounded player. Um, he does struggle away from the puck a little bit defensively. He's not the strongest player, but again, he's he's the player that uh, moves the needle. Um, he's the player that drives the offense, um, and he's the player that I think fans will probably gravitate most towards uh, in terms of looking for a face of the franchise moving forward, uh, only because he's going to be, you know, one that the kids love. He's going to be a player that brings people out of their seats uh, and makes it exciting to tune into Ottawa Senators hockey for years to come. He's the best center prospect uh, since the Ottawa Senators had Jason Spezza in my mind. So there you go. I 100% agree. I think, you know, Stutzel is number one. So, you know, that that's one. So we have two that we agree with and Logan Brown at number six and Timmy Stutzel at number one. So, you know what? I think before we really start discussing these lists, I think it's my turn to get into it. And I'm going in with a hot take at number 10. I got Parker Kelly. And the reason why I have Parker Kelly is because there's a re- there's a reason why he won hardest working, you know, player at development camp for two years in a row. You know, there's a reason why players like his teammates love him, why the coaching staffs love him. He reminds me, he seems like a better Chris Neal. And I know everyone's like prospects, you want scores, you want scores. Parker Kelly is going to be your third or fourth line shutdown guy, but he's going to be the guy that helps you win a cup. You know, I'd much rather a guy like Parker Kelly over a guy like Formington because, at least right now, because I like, and that's no diss to Formington, it's just the play style of Formington. Because, you know, you, you look how Tampa won the cup. You know, they had guys like Pat, like Parker Kelly reminds me of a lot like Pat Maroon, who's won back to back cups and have been a big part of those back to back cups for Tampa and for St. Louis. So, I know people are going to be like, oh, well, he doesn't score, but he's going to be on your penalty kill. You're going to throw him out there on defensive situations. You know, you're up by a goal with under a minute left. You're going to put him on the ice. You know, he's the guy who's going to help you win a cup. And I think, like, when when you rate prospects, everyone puts out, like, offensive production. I don't care how many goals you can score. If you can't keep them out of your net, you're not going anywhere. Parker Kelly can help them stay out of the net. So I like Parker Kelly at 10. To me, that's a crazy pick. I was, uh, you know, I looked at that name and I was like, holy crap. Like I, we were originally, we were looking at top 20 prospects. So we went through the top 20 and Parker Kelly was not even on my mind at number 20. So just to show you how shocked I was when I seen his name, I was like, wow, I'm excited for your explanation here because I have no clue why you picked Parker Kelly as number 10, but Uh, You've explained it well, Um, maybe not well enough for me to change my mind, but maybe I would squeeze them into my top 20 based on what you said. I I agree with what you said. I mean, some of these players are just more projectable than the other players. So um, it's important to also look at, you know, when I talk about Vitaly Abramov, my my 10th overall prospect, I'm talking about a player who's not that projectable. Like if he doesn't make it, he's not even going to be an NHL player. Whereas Parker Kelly, you could say like, yeah, he, he's probably a player that will get NHL games at some point in his career. So 
I could see it from, from that perspective. And then, like you said, sometimes those unheralded skills are, they become more important and you need those guys on your third and fourth lines. It can't just be, you know, top six forwards from, you know, line one to line four. <laughs> here's, here, Parker Kelly is the kind of player that top teams trade for at the deadline. You know, it's the same thing that we talked, I think last week Haley mentioned it with uh, Clevin. You know, Clevin was a guy that, you know, our players are kind of, those skill sets are players that teams try to trade for at the deadline who want to go on a cup run. It's, so, the, it's the type of player that gets Pierre Dorian hugs and handshakes when, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the Alex Burroughs explanation that he had, but. But prime example, you know, Parker <laughs> Kelly, Alex, a better version of Alex Burroughs. And Burroughs was a big part of that cup run or playoff run in 2017. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick. I like Kelly. I, li- I think he's going to be a great player for this. Like, okay, not great as in like, you know, put up like 40 point plus points a, game, a season, but like he will be a solid player for the Senators in the next three to four years. Guaranteed he's going to be part of a cup win. Keep in, be- mind, keep in mind, Shane, this is live. People can hear you. I don't care. <laughs> Yo, know, you can, you can cut it. You can post it. I do not care. At number nine, I got I, I got your number ten pick. I have Vitalia Bromov at number nine. I think he he's a top nine forward. Uh, from what I've seen with his play overseas, it looks like he's rounding out his defensive game. And if he can continue to do that, he's a guy that kind of reminds me of like Connor Brown. Could he? Like he's a guy who can probably play in and up and up and down your lineup and produce in maybe not you know. Uh, taught, like, I don't see him being a consistent, you know, 25 plus goal scorer. I see him being more of a consistent, like 15 to 20 goal scorer with those kind of years where he'll hit 25, you know, every couple of years. But I think he could be uh, a top, like your third line right winger who gets power play time, can turn into a penalty killer if need be. And in case there's injuries, he can play up your lineup without damaging much of the chemistry. Yeah, so there you go. We have two players that are almost ranked the same number, but we have very different perspectives on that player. Like, you know, I'm kind of saying that I see v- Vitalia Brahma as a player who's uh, hit or bust. And you're kind of saying, no, like, you know, there is some room, some wiggle room in there where if he learns the defensive game enough, he could actually be a solid third line player. Um, so there you there you have it. That's the, that's the beauty of these prospect lists. It's that you have, you know, everyone has a different perspective on these lists. So, you know, just because I'm saying one thing doesn't mean it's right. Just because Shane's saying one thing just doesn't mean it's right. It's just, we all have different perspectives of these players and, and it's great. Yeah. We all, we all look for different things and what we're looking for out of a player. Uh, at number eight, uh, barely making the cut in terms of eligibility is Rudolph Balsers. Um, he, he's a guy where I'm expecting big things of from, this season, I think we same thing with Willannon, where we could have seen a huge jump from them last year if they didn't deal with injuries in camp. So I was kind of disappointed that Balsers missed some time and he couldn't really get his footing in the NHL. But with Balsers, I have him as a top nine forward. He is also another guy, you know, can play in and out of up and down your lineup, can give you power play time, some penalty killing time. He's just overall a really could be a really solid guy. He had a he's too good for the AHL. We should see what kind of role DJ Smith sees him at 
uh, in the NHL this this camp. But I think his ceiling is kind of more of like a middle six left winger. Um, honestly, kind of like Marion Hosa. I think like Marion Hosa was never really considered a top line winger for from especially after he left. Like in in Atlanta, he was, but like that's Atlanta, so it's not much to grab at. But when he won the cups in Chicago, he was a second or he was a second line winger. So. I would be okay with Balser's kind of filling in that like Hosa's kind of role as a second line winger who can give you eight, give you first line minutes without having to face the first line matchups. I think that's fair on Balser's. I think his age is getting up there a little bit in terms of being considered a prospect. So he's kind of on that, you know, he's walking that line of he needs to show something at the NHL level this year. Uh, but when he was given opportunities, he did show uh, what he could do. And, and I was impressed. I had him like not, not far under my top 10. So uh, we weren't too far off there. Um, I like Balsers. I, I like his skill set. I think he's a very skilled player. Um, he's a pretty consistent player too. I think he's a little bit more consistent than someone like Abramov uh, at this stage in his career. So uh, I, I like that pick actually, Shane. I mean, and it's also, we all need to remember there were reports that he was also the best prospect out of camp last season. Like he, he had the best camp out of all the big names and that the reason why Batherson was part of opening our opening at roster was because Balsers was hurt. So I think that needs to also be talked about a little bit when we're looking at these prospects at number seven. And I'm kind of, I was very shocked that you did not put him on Jacob Bernard Docker hmm. at number seven. Solid right-handed defenseman. I was very tempted to move him up um, to to a, a number six, but you know I think he's going to be a top four guy. Probably paired with Shabbat when he gets up here, if he can hit his ceiling. I don't think he's going to be elite, but I think he's definitely going to be a staple on our decor for years to come. Yeah, JBD is just like just outside my top ten. He he's probably I think he's number eleven. So uh, I probably debated a little bit with him and Abramov, um, and having watched him play again, like recency bias. So um, there was a point in time when I wanted to change my list because we made these lists like a month ago. So before I got to see any UND games, so like Pinto and JBD are two that would probably rise up my list a little bit. Um, I see him as a top four defenseman too. I think he's quiet. Like he, he's a quiet defenseman. He's, he does a lot of things well, but I see him, I, I think I've used DeMello as a comparable before. And that's where I see JVD, but he's, he's better offensively than DeMello was. Look at Mark Mathot. He could be yeah. to the ball what Mark Mathot was to Carlson. And I'm totally okay with it. He's probably going to give us like 20 points a season, mostly getting them off of Shabbat as like secondary assists. But I, I like, I like Bernard Docker at, at number seven. At number six, like I said before, we got Logan Brown. Um, can't really say much more than we already said earlier. He has a skill. This is the year he can come in and take that job, uh, like a, a top six job. If he can improve his skating or his defensive IQ, he's going to be a solid top six center. We have a lot of center depth, so he he has to step up. Like, and I was this is why I was kind of worried to put like I was a little bit con- like doubting putting Brown even in my top 10 because of it. But, you know, Logan Brown at six, can't really say much more. 
Uh, and number five, got Josh Norris, a little bit higher than yours. I like what I saw from him in Belleville. I think he's a guy that will continue, should continue to improve. Um, I don't think he's, he's going to be a jack of all trades. I think he's a top six guy, but he's more to me, he's closer to a Mike Fisher than he is a Jason Spezza, which I mean is totally fine too. Like that, that's a total, totally solid comparison. So if Pinto can just, or if uh, Norris can, can just continue to improve in kind of all aspects of the game, I, I'm totally fine with Pinto, or uh, wow, um, Norris being that, you know, second, third line guy um, consistently down our lineup. To me, again, like I see Norris as almost the perfect trade chip. Like when you look at Pinto, who I would want to keep over Norris and then maybe Logan Brown, to me, like Norris has tremendous value. He would have a lot of value on the open market. And to me, he would be just an ideal trade chip. No, that's totally fair. I I can I agree. Um, at number at number four, we got Drake Batherson. And again, one of those guys that like should make that jump to the NHL this season. Uh, he's struggled here and there, but he's too good for the AHL. Uh, I've used the the Daniel Alfredson comparable before, and I don't think I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Daniel Alfredson. But if you watch them play, they bring similar things to the ice. So I think Drake Batherson will will be given a legitimate shot. And he knows – I think the difference is last year, players didn't really know what to expect going into camp. I think this year, players know what's expected from them and really know what's expected from them in terms of prospects. I think Batherson, Brown, these guys expect or are, know that they're expected to make the lineup outside of just fan pressure, like the organization is, or and DJ Smith is basically saying like, you know, this is the year. I mean, I am expecting you guys to make the jump. And be impact players. Like this is the year that we should see, especially Drake Batherson. Like this is where everyone's expecting him to break out now. Um, he had a much better end of the season last year. He ended off well. Hopefully he had a good training camp. He, he trains a lot with uh, Sidney Crosby in the off season, like he, he does train with some really, really good players. So it, it would not surprise me if Drake Batherson has a phenomenal breakout season. Yeah. I think if you look at most people's, you know, breakout candidates for every team uh, from what I've seen, the top four for Ottawa have been Kachuk, Batherson, um, Branstrom and Formington were the most four common that I've seen. I've seen, um, you know, we're landing in there. I've seen Balsers um, for a couple of different articles. But, you know, I have Batherson at four as a star player. I know you have him as a top six. I think he'd be a star, a true, you know, number top line right winger and as a star. Um, and you know what? At number three, you had him at number two, but I'm putting it at number three. I got Jake Sanderson, another UND product. He's going to be so, like, He's going to be a solid left hand shut down. You know, he, he'll be a Duncan Keith. He'll be a, a our Duncan Keith. So yeah. I he's going to be elite. He's going to help us win cups. I'm going to be in the Norris conversation multiple times in his career. In my in my opinion, you know, I've compared him to Duncan Keith and, and Victor Hedman. I just love what this kid brings. So you know, I don't even care who his partner is. I think this guy's just going to be a solid. You know, he's going to be on every situation, penalty kill, power play, five on five. 
you know, up by one uh, with one minute to go with a draw on your own end. So I just, I have Sanderson as an elite number three. Yeah, the uh, the American World Junior coach uh, was just quoted as saying he can't keep Sanderson off the ice. Like, basically, he has to put him in every situation because he's always the smartest player on the ice, and he can trust him in every single situation. It's going to be the same in the NHL. So number two, I got another UND product, Tyler Clevin. No, I'm just kidding. I got <laughs> Shane Pinto at number two. And I know this is a hot take, but we have to remember that this, Shane Pinto – only started playing hockey, like competitive hockey, five years ago, and if you listen to his coaches, he just keeps getting better. I don't, I don't think there is more of an unknown ceiling in the in any prospect than it is with Shane Pinto right now. I've heard comparisons from Kopitar to Bergeron uh, to you know a defensive specialist. Like I've heard so many different comparisons for this kid. He, I think he'll be a number one center. Honestly, I think if there is no reason why he he can't be he should be limited to being you know a third or second line center. If he continues to grow his game and continue to improve, he could be a number one center in Ottawa. And I think if we get anything close to a Bergeron or Kopitar, that mint, I'm taking it. So I have Pinto as an elite number two prospect in our system. I love the hot take with Pinto, just because I'm feeling Pinto, especially lately, like. You know, just watching the kid play, there's not much he can't do. He's another one, much like Sanderson, where you could play him in every situation. And especially at the college level right now, he's the best player on the ice at all times. He's the best player on the ice. He's a threat to score. He's a he's a playmaking threat. Um, he's a defensive threat. And he wins every faceoff that he has. He's stronger than everyone as well. And, and like you said, with the development curve, like that's that's the fun thing with prospects You've got to put them on a, on a development curve. And because Pinto's way less experienced when it comes to hockey, it's so unknown that, you know, you could potentially see this kid just continue, continue and continue to grow and become this like phenomenal center in the NHL. And that's why Pinto is, is one of those guys that you can have up and down on these lists. A hundred percent. And, you know, I got Timmy Stutzel at number one. Um, I was looking at like who, like I was looking at our prospects and I'm like, every team has a power line, right? Every team has that like one line that you can just throw out there in any situation. You know, you have the, the Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak line in uh, Boston. The, what it, I think it's what the Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen line in Colorado. Yeah. You have basically when healthy, it's it's Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov in Tampa. There could be a time in the next two to three years where we see Timmy Stutzel, Shane Pinto, Drake Batherson as our top line. I am not convinced that the Senators are a hundred percent committed to putting Timmy Stutzel as a center if. It, if a guy like Pinto shows that he can be a better center. And I don't think Timmy Stutzel is 100% committed to not playing wing. Yeah, I think it at that point, it doesn't really matter, right? Like if Pinto pans out to be a number one center, then it's just money in the bank at this point. Like if you have, you know, two or three number one centers in your in your roster, again, someone's getting moved, but whoever is not, 
I mean, and the versatility that you have with a guy like Stusla who, who could play the wing, why not put him on the wing if he can play the wing and Pinto's a number one center? I, I, I like that. I think that would be potentially, you know, if these guys pan out, potentially a phenomenal line down the road, like a line that brings a little bit of everything. 100%. And I mean, looking at these prospects, I know I compare them a lot to, you know, senators because we are a senator show, but if if needed, like you can look at, you know, Pinto and Norris, like a, you know, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci out in Boston, or, you know, if they decide to put Stamkos and, and Point down the middle in, in Tampa, there's so many, or even, what was it, um, Riley and I think not, it wasn't Steve, who was their center when they won the cup? Or even Knetsoff uh, and Backstrom in, in Washington. Yeah. Like, those, those are like combos that Ottawa can play around with. You need two you need two really good centers to win a cup. You need two really good centers to make it to a cup final most yeah. of the time, right? Like, Yeah, there's not a lot of teams in recent history that have won the cup without at least a couple of top, top centers. I mean, St. Louis maybe. That Ryan O'Reilly was phenomenal in the playoffs, though. Like, yeah. Is he a winger, though? O'Reilly? No, he's a center. He's a center, yeah. And then you look at, you know, Chicago. They, for the most part, I'm pretty sure their centers were like, I mean, Taves was number one, but they had like Brandon Saad, who who started off as a center. Andrew Lai, who started off as a center. Like, different. Like, they had players like that. Um, Kopitar, Jeff Carter, for the most part, in L.A., yeah, you know, you look at you look at the team and like Crosby, Malkin. It's it's one of the most important positions on the ice. So if you have two really really good top six centers, then you're looking pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, hey, this is our this is my prospect list. This is your prospect list. No one, no prospect list is right or wrong, uh, really, because it's all a matter of opinion. You're always gonna look for something different than, you know, someone else. So you're going to have different lists. But let us know what your top 10 lists are. You know, I, I guarantee you most of them are going to be different in some way than mine and, and Derek. So definitely let us know what your top 10 sense prospects are. Uh, we got one more thing before we wrap up. I know we're well over an hour, but it's the Christmas spirit. So we're going to, you know, we we got this episode and then we got one episode next week. Um, so we got technically two this week. Uh, before we hit off for a little Christmas vacation. Um, so we got um, our over-under for this week. Uh, and he's actually been – this player has been talked about recently as one of the players, uh, especially today when I put out a tweet uh, on Sun's Hour uh, asking who you're most excited to see at camp. And a couple of people put out Josh Brown. They want to see where he's going to be utilized, how they're going to use him. Uh, and I believe that's who we have going as our over-under today is is Joshua Brown, defenseman, out of uh, coming out from fl- signing with from Florida. We have his over-under on points. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see kind of where you put the uh, point total at Be- because I think Josh Brown is probably most people's number one choice to play with Shabbat this year, and that could have a significant impact on his point totals. So I, I looked at it. I made the point total. I wanted to – so I, I made two. Um, I made one 
that we can look at with playing with Shabbat. And that point total is 12 and a half points. It's a little bit low um, because even with Shabbat, I don't see him getting a lot of assists and I don't see him scoring a lot of goals. Um, and in a 56 game season, like I just, I think 12 and a half points with Shabbat is doable. And realistically, there should it should be over. But I think 12 and a half points is, is a safe bet for Josh with, with Shabbat. Without Shabbat, it's not much lower, honestly. I have him at nine and a half points. It's a three-point difference because I still think DJ Smith is going to put him in those situations that if he's playing with a guy like Willandon, he's still going to get points. I just don't see him getting as much power play time. I think he's going to get a lot of five-on-five points without 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 Shabbat. So, you know, you can pick which one or you can do both. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see like the, yeah, the 10 to 15 point range for Josh Brown. I, again, like we're not really assessing Josh Brown on his point totals either, just because, you know, he's there for the intangibles. He's there for the defense, you know, and to be that kind of counterpart to guys like Willandon and Shabbat. Um, I could see him finishing with, I'm going to, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say he's going to finish with 14 points. He's going to have a a really solid season. Um, You know, whether he's paired with Shabbat or Willanen, even though he's not going to get power play time, I could see him finishing uh, in that range. So I'll say 14 points. So just to, just to be clear, if you look at Mathot, he had 23 points in his second year with Ottawa 11 points in his third year, and then 12 points back-to-back years with Ottawa. And he played most of his time with Carlson. So just because he's playing with Carlson doesn't mean he had this exorbitant point total, which is why I look like which is why I gave Brown a relatively low point total because he's playing with Shabbat. So before anyone you know crucifies me saying that, you know, Mathot had multiple 20-point seasons, he did not. Hmm. Um, so for me, I'm I'm saying over. Uh, in terms of he's not playing with Shabbat, I think he's going to have like 10. I think the 10 to 15 range is totally acceptable. I'm going to go over for both. Honestly, I think he'll probably be closer to that 15 range than he is to um, under the nine and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I just, well, I mean, I think he's going to be closer to 15 than he is 10. Um, I think he can still point out like, uh, he had eight points last year with Florida when and you can make an argument he had like three goals and five assists in 56 games. You can make the argument that Florida had no he didn't have any really structure in Florida. So he put up eight points with a crappy Florida defense. And and probably on a limited role, like a much more limited role than he's gonna get in Ottawa. Probably. So I think you're probably gonna see him closer to 15. Uh, if you're a betting man, definitely I would definitely take 15 or over 20, 12 and a half, but I'm going to go much more than 15. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, guys, Josh Brown, he's, I'm excited to see where he is. Not going to lie. I think he'll get a lot of playing time with Shabbat. But that'll be all for today's episode. You can catch us back here live uh, Tuesday at 4 p.m. We will be joined by the boys of the Locked On Sends podcast, uh, Ross and Brendan, I believe. Brandon and Ross, yep. Brandon and Ross. Brandon and Ross. Yep. Um, they'll be joining us at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. 
Uh, we'll be talking world, we'll basically doing a world junior preview. Might talk a little bit of sense, so definitely let us know. Got questions or or that you want that want to ask them? Let us know. Uh, but you know, then we're we're gonna take a little bit of now episode will be released on Thursday. Um, we should be back on Sunday if we're able to to meet up um, on throughout the week. Hopefully we can, and then we'll we'll have our we'll have our, and then we might not have one on Chris on New Year's Day. That that might not be a, a thing. So over the next two weeks, we still should have an episode, and then next next Thursday we probably we might not. So just just so you know, um, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, follow us sends underscore hour on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitch, YouTube. Myself Shane underscore Ryan ninety seven. Derek Dealey 075. Also remember to check out Derek's work on uh, New Era Sends and uh, Send Shot. Great, great work. Uh, great pieces that he writes. Definitely worth the read. And remember, we have hockey going back in 2021. We got World Junior starting in a couple of days. So you'll definitely want to stay tuned for the Sends Hour podcast. And the uh, the trade and keep will be back. We will be using this. Uh, Sends our uh, over under will be every Monday episode, and then the trader keep will be every Thursday episode. So that will be back. I know Haley didn't like it because we kind of sprung it on her, but it was fun. So let us know between now and Tuesday who you would like to be part of the trading keep. It doesn't have to just be Senators players, it can be anyone. It could be hell, it can be from a guy from 1994. I we don't care, just let us know who you want to compare, and we'll we'll do it. Uh, but that'll be all for today, guys. Stay safe. Have a happy uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, have fun with your family. I know if you're in Ontario, it's going to be a little bit chaotic. Um, but, you know, let's make the most of it and just hope for a better 2021. Take care, everyone.